Luke 10, you guys are really um, good volunteers. Yes, please. I want you to tell me the first things that, remind me of your name? Marianne, of course it is. Marianne's going to write these on the board as she's driving to us, so feel free to help yourself up there, Marianne. I want you to tell me the first things that come into your mind when you see the following word on the screen, okay? Just just be, uh, give me your first reaction uh, as to this word that comes up on the screen, okay? Ready? Let's have it up there. Okay, let's put those up. Bad. Keep telling me, yeah, Paige. What's that? Red and black. Okay, that's good. That's an interesting one. What else? What would your what would your friends at school say about sin? What would be the first things that would come into their mind? Thomas. Okay, I can't hear you, but I'm sure it was worthwhile saying. Anyone else? Ash. Mel, sorry, Mel. Disobedience. Okay, that's good. Anything else? What would your parents say that sin is? Come on, help me out here. Hate. Okay, that's good. That's good. Down this side. What are you guys thinking? Those of you who went to Sunday school, what would like be a good Sunday school answer to what sin is? Yeah. Okay, bad things that take us away from God. Give me give me some examples. Throw them out to me. Lying. Good. Keep keep coming. Lying. Stealing. Jealousy. Killing. I hope none of you have done that <laughs> to any live person. Any others? Okay, let me tell you this as we talk about sin tonight. If you think of sin just as an action, as in something that you do, think of tonight as like a swimming pool, all right? This is the swimming pool of sin that we're talking about. If you think of sin as just an action that you do, then you're only in the shallow end of the pool, okay? And what I want to do tonight is say, come on down and your understanding of what sin is, and we want to think about how before you can have good news, which is what the gospel actually is, you have to understand what the bad news is that God is working in our lives to save us from, okay? So sin is about far more than just the bad things that we do. In fact, it's kind of like, um, you know, when explorers would, would go into the Arctic, down to Antarctica, in order to explore new lands, they would sail in these big ships, and they would always have this problem that as they looked out ahead, they could see uh, like a bit of an iceberg in front of them that they would need to maneuver around. You know what the problem is with icebergs? The part that you see at the top, it, well, it's about an eighth of, yeah, you are, actually. You can take a seat. Thank you, Marianne. Sorry, I forgot about you up there. You didn't need to write down everything I was saying icebergs, which only have an eighth of them at the top and, a, a, and seven-eighths at the bottom. In other words, there's much more below the surface than what you see on the top. And, you know, that, that's exactly what those acts of sin are like in our lives, is that when, when we do things like lying and stealing and cursing and all of that stuff, it's actually pointing to something that's far bigger, which is in our hearts. Okay, now... In order to kind of uh, flesh that out tonight, I want to go back to the original story of how sin came into the world, which is found in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to help me out in studying this little passage tonight. There's a couple of things I want you to see. We're going to go back and have a... I'll basically, I want to retell this story. 
and then I want to do a passage, do, do a wee study to see what we can learn about sin, okay? So here's where we pick up the story back in Genesis chapter 2, actually, after God has created the world. And, and as, I re- as I read this, I want you to tell me, what does, what does God, who is the good creator you learned about last week, who made us to worship him and enjoy him, what does he emphasize in what he says to Adam and Eve, man, woman to us when he when he put us in the garden okay so listen to this pick it up at chapter 2 verse 15 it says the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and to take care of it and the lord god commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die what What's the emphasis on there when God gives that uh, that plan to Adam and Eve? What are you noticing? Oh boy, make sure you notice that what Mel has pointed out. What God gives us here is heavy on the freedom that he wants us to have and it's light on the commands that he gives us to what we can't do. Is that, is that kind of making sense? This is all about the freedom that God gives us. So he says to them, you, you can eat from which tree? How many trees? From, from any tree in the garden. Now, we've got a little three-year-old. His name is, well, it's not quite three. Um, he's he's, he's uh, ten a bit, but his name is William, and he's a maniac, and we love him to bits. And well, every now and then we take him into this place in town, which you guys are probably a bit big to go to these days. It's called Chipmunks. Do you know what is cool about chipmunks? Chipmunks is like the ultimate party for a three-year-old. Because when he goes into chipmunks, you know what he sees? He sees life-size, well, for him, life-size tractors. He sees slides that are so big that you can't see the top of them. He sees swings. He sees, lately, when we went the last time, there's like these machine gun shooting things which you can line people up and shoot them with. And he didn't even need to be taught. He just kind of got himself up there and started shooting people with these little balls. And it's kind of like if you were to look at William, he is just in paradise because his mouth is watering. He doesn't know which toy to go to. And that's exactly what Adam is like when God puts him in the garden here. Where do you start? With the slide that's so big you can hardly see to the top of it? Which fruit tree do you start with? I mean, this is paradise where every possible good thing you could ever want is there. And God says you can eat, what's the word? You are free. That's the emphasis. And then there's this one command, which is one tree, one tree in the middle of the garden that you're not to eat from, which is kind of like a test to see whether or not Adam will trust God. So make sure you see that. All right, he is, um, he is unbelievably blessed with the freedom God gives him. By the way, if we were to read the rest of the story, do you know what God does next for Adam? After he puts him in the garden to eat him, you know what he does? Oh, baby, you say that quickly. He makes him Eve. And you know what? Uh, of all the good, of, yeah, you guys are young people, you can hang. Of all the good things that God gave Adam, you know what the best thing was? This knockout of a lady. You know, Adam, is, he's actually asleep when God uh, makes her out of his rib. And when Adam wakes up, do you know what he says? Whoa, man. <laughs> That is a bad joke, I know, but 
he basically breaks into song because he is so thrilled about what God has given him in this wonderful woman named Eve. And the whole point of the story is that God is just like throwing blessings onto Adam, giving him every good thing he could possibly ever want. The story ends in chapter 3, verse 25. Are you guys big enough to hear this? Where it says that they were naked and not ashamed. Um, You know, I bet even just saying that word, the N word, um, all of a sudden makes us all feel ashamed. That's the last thing you'd ever want to do, right? I hope some mics are okay. Forgive me for that. And the whole point is that when Adam and Eve are together, they don't ha- they don't have to have masks. They don't have to perform in order to impress one another. Adam doesn't have to be always showing her his muscles in order to make her love him. They are just unconditionally, totally accepted. So that they don't have to justify their existence, right? They're t- just totally at peace with each other and with what God has given them in the world. And all of this, in other words, man, everything is just perfect for them in their eyes. Until Eve talks to a snake. And if this was a um, movie at this point, this would be the music. Because the snake comes in and destroys everything. And, And when the snake comes along, this is what he says. Okay, Now at this point, I want you to tell me, what does the snake emphasize when we compare it to what God said in the original command? Okay, this is what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You tell me. What does the snake emphasize? Right, remember, remember what uh, what God emphasized, eh? Freedom to get into those trees and eat yourself silly. What is? You tell me. What does the snake emphasize? Compare the two. Limitation for years. I, anyone else seen that? Where do you see that in these in that in that verse? Where do you see it? Is it there? Look at it, look at it, look at what the serpent is doing. Man, that, it sounds so right, but it is so wrong. What's the serpent doing here? He's causing them to doubt God. And more specifically, he's causing them to doubt God's goodness. Because notice what he says there, you must not eat from from any tree in the garden? How is that different to what God said to Adam? Yeah, it's, it's the total opposite. He's trying to make out like God is kind of this uh, tight-fisted person who doesn't want them to have fun and doesn't want them to enjoy anything, and he's a holdout. He's trying to stop them from enjoying any kind of life. The whole point is that God is a miser. He's limiting what they can do. God's emphasis was on freedom and on them having a party. But that's not what the serpent draws attention to. He draws attention to the one thing they can't do. Oh, boy, I would be all over that tree. Like that one tree, I would be slithering around that and licking that fruit and then eating that, that one tree. Right? The focus on the one thing instead of the entire garden that God had given them. Look at Eve now. Check out what Eve emphasizes when she answers the snake. This is what she says. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit 
from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. What do you notice about what Eve emphasizes? We see what's different in the way she puts words in God's mouth. What are you noticing? Oh, you can't even see that. That's not good. Yeah, we may eat fruit. You see how she's, she's buying Satan's lie already? And no longer is God this amazingly good God who wants their very best, but already she's kind of pulled him down a notch as he's not quite as gracious and generous as God had showed himself to be. And then she says, yeah, we're not allowed to eat the, tr- eat the fruit from that tree, nor can we touch it. Did God say anything about touching it? No, but she's already just totally messed up in the way God wants to control her life, control his life, and stop them from having the kind of life that they would want to have on their own. Incredible, right? The Satan is trying to, the, ser- the serpent is trying to tell them that they can't trust God. He doesn't want you to have a good time. He wants to control you and limit you because he's not good and he doesn't like you. And you know what happens? Eve buys that lie. She looks, she takes, she eats, and then all of a sudden their whole world falls apart. Right? And you remember the story. Um, their eyes are open and they realize they're naked and they freak out because they're so, so full of shame all of a sudden because they hide from each other and then they hide from God. And then God has to kick them out of the garden and punish them by uh, ensuring they won't eat from the tree of life so that they can't continue to live forever. And the whole thing just basically turns into carnage. That's the mess that takes place from this. You know what the best, best word is for this? It's the word separated, alienated. Because of sin, they're alienated, separated from God, from themselves, from each other and from the good creation that God had put them in the garden to enjoy. And here's all of that just to get to this, all right? What do we learn from this? What should we be learning about what sin is? Sin, guys, is so much more than just the actions that we do. It's it's what's going on in our hearts, in the way we're thinking, in the way we're believing or not believing in God, and in the way we're choosing things apart from God, right? And here's the first thing I want you to see. First big point, if you're taking notes tonight, this is what you want to write down. Number one, sin happens when we don't trust God. When we don't trust that he's good, when we don't trust that he's got our best at heart, when we don't trust that when he gives us commands, they're actually the very best thing that we could do. Let me give you an example. Um, Imagine if I was to want to buy a a second-hand car, and so what I would do is I'd go down to one of the second-hand car yards down here and I would rock up and a man in a, in a, in a white suit with um, greasy, slicked-back hair would come out and he would show me cars, right? And he'd show me a second-hand car and say, this is the car you want. It's fantastic. It's got beautiful hubcaps and a nice, shiny um, dice down in the middle and uh, it starts eventually if you keep turning it over and he would kind of try to talk me into buying this car. So what I would do is I would go and get my friend Tim here, who's a mechanic, and I'd take him down and get him to have a look over the car, and Tim would crawl underneath it, and he would have a look for a moment, and then he'd come back out, and he would say, Daryl, I would not touch this car with a 10-foot pole. Question, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to Tim? Am I going to listen to the sales agent? Right, who I know wants to rip me off and get my money, or am I going to listen to the person who I know has my best interests at heart? Here's the question. 
what do you really believe about God? Right? All of sin comes back to this. What do you really believe about God? Can he be trusted? Right? Is he as good as his word makes out? That when he gives us commands and gives us paths to walk in our lives, man, he, he is actually the one who has our best interests at heart because he loves us and is for us. But when we don't believe that, when we have unbelief in our hearts, you know what comes out? All of those actions of sin, just like we see in the life of Eve. Right? So that's the first thing we've really got to see. You've got to see that sin happens when we don't trust God. Second thing we see is that sin happens when we put ourselves at the centre of the world. Right? This is, oh man. Sin happens when we put ourselves at the centre of the world. Last week, we learnt that God created us, designed us so that he would be the centre of our world, and we call that worship. What we see here is that when Eve decides to act with her own wisdom, act out of the unbelief of her own heart, right? when, she, when she acts with herself in the centre of the world, the only natural thing that can happen is that sin takes place. Here's what sin is. Sin is any word with the word self in front of it. Right? Self-concerned, self-absorbed. Um, self-glorifying, self-promoting, selfishness, all of that stuff. And unfortunately, here's, here's what sin does to us. It's more than just the acts we do. It's, it's actually the, the hard wiring that we've all got to, to think that we are the center of the world. Um, boy, you don't, have to treat, uh, you don't have to teach my little son William to believe that. He, he wakes up in the morning and he thinks that he is the center of the world and his mother and his father exist to meet every need he has. By the way, um, we're just like that. We're just a whole lot more sophisticated. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, guys, guys, you go out to a meal at a restaurant and uh, you and your friend order exactly the same meal. You order steak and chips, right? So two plates of steak and chips come out to you and your friend. They whack them down in front of you. And what is the first thing that you do? You check out to see who's got the bigger piece of steak and who's got the bigger portion of chips. And when your friend has got a bigger piece of steak on his plate and more chips, you don't say this. You don't say, praise be to God for the way he's blessed my friend with such a wonderful meal. <laughs> you don't say that, do you? The first thing you do is you think, you think, now how am I going to swap those plates so that I get the bigger portion and enjoy more steak and more chips without my friend knowing it? Is that not what you do? Because right? we are always, we're hardwired to put ourselves in the centre of the world so that we come out on top. Now, girls, here's an example for you. Self, right? Um, girls, what is the first thing that you do when you see a photo of a group of people and you are part of the group, right? Who is the first face that you look for, right? Hands down, the first person that we look for is ourselves. And as long as we look good, right, then it's a great photo. I mean, your, your friend might be sitting next to you and in the photo, your friend has got a big piece of beef sticking out of her teeth. But don't worry, about it, that's a great photo, right? As long as you look good in it. You see how we, we're all just totally hardwired to, to think and act and assume that the world has been created to have us in the middle of it. Right? Let me give you one more example. Um, oh, this is my favorite one. 
I'll give you this example. It's kind of like, imagine um, what it's like when you, when you have an argument with somebody and uh, it's a really like rough argument and um, you, you leave the, the situation and um, you're still really mad about the argument. And so what you do is you think about all the things you could have said and would have said and should have said if you were quick enough in an argument to kind of get a stab and beat that person in the argument. And, and in the replaying of that argument, you replay it over and over. Let me ask you this. When you replay arguments in your head, do you ever lose the argument? No, you don't. When you replay it in your head, you always win because you're the one at the center of the world. And that's what sin does. It pushes God off his rightful place, which is his, the throne, his, his place in the, on the throne, the ruling place in our lives, pushes him off, and then you know what can only ever happen? Other things take his place. And the number one thing that takes God's place in the ruling of our lives is ourselves. And that's what sin is. Sin is what happens when we put ourselves at the center of the world. Here's the third point. The third point is that God hates sin so much that he has to judge it. See, for us, I mean, right now, you're probably thinking, a bigger piece of steak, some more chips, looking at a photo, um, replaying argument. Who cares? It's not that really that, that big a deal, isn't it? But you know what? Because God has designed us, and because he knows what's best for us, and because he loves us, he, he hates that whole process. He, he hates sin. He, he abhors what it does in our lives. He hates it because of what it does to us. He hates it because of what it does to our relationships. He hates it because of all the consequences that, he bring, that it brings into our lives. But the problem is that because sin is so much a part of who we are, it's not just our actions, it's in our hearts, to judge sin, he must judge us. And that's what he does. And... Uh, it's really bad news. Because if sin was just an action, you could just talk yourself out of doing that. But because it's a, an issue of where our hearts are, God has to do something far deeper, far greater, far more long-lasting. And he does that by intervening and sending his son. And that's what the rest of the story is about in the next number of weeks. But tonight I want you to take away this. Right? The, the story about Adam and Eve in the garden Man, that is the story of all of us. Sin is what happens when we don't trust God and believe that he's good and that he loves us. Sin is what happens when we place ourselves in the center of the world, which is our natural tendency. And sin is something that God hates so much that he will judge it and he has to judge us along with it. So let's go to our groups. I believe that you have, um, your leaders will have a list of questions and we just want you to go and talk about what you've learned tonight and what stood out. So, do they go to that now, Nick? Yeah.